Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, I thank you so much for your presence here. I thank you for your constant provision in our lives, and I pray, um, God, that you would just grow your kingdom, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit, Lord, on uh, each person here over this church family and over this community. I pray this morning, Lord, I I thank you for our mothers, and uh, we celebrate them, and we also take a moment uh, to recognize uh, the many that this is a a difficult day for them, Lord, and I pray that uh, your presence would be with them. And we pray that uh, you would be with us this morning and speak uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, Thank you so much for being here again. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, Today, I don't know if you realize this, uh, uh, for pastors, it's actually uh, kind of a challenge. This is one of the more challenging Sundays of the year uh, because uh, I I try to present a message that honors and celebrates our mothers, but also uh, speaks to everyone here. Uh, But I believe we have that this morning. I'm excited about it. Uh, But we're going to step away from the series that we started last week. Uh, We started a series last week. Uh, I already put everything I have in there. (laughs) Uh, Do as you have seen me do. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Last week we started a series called In Conclusion, but we're going to step away from that uh, today. We're going to go into a, uh, a message today. Uh, And we're going to talk about faith, three types of faith, and we find uh, this faith in three different women uh, throughout Scripture, but uh, it is a faith that applies to all of our lives. So uh, what I'm going to do to to try to bring it to everyone is I'm uh, going to bring a message that applies to everyone, and then I want to talk about how it specifically applies to mothers in in unique ways. And to do that, I want to begin with a story of Esther. Uh, Esther, if you're familiar with the story... Uh, It uh, takes place in the book of Esther. Uh, Go figure that. Uh, And it starts with King Xerxes. He was the king of Persia, over 127 provinces in Persia. Uh, The the king was married to a woman named uh, Queen Vashti or something along those lines. I don't know how you pronounce it. But it says that he threw this grand party. And at the end of the party, the party was actually like 180 days long. So it was a, was a, a big party. At the end of it, he said, you know what? you guys have got to see how good looking my wife is. So he sent for the queen and he said, uh, bring out the trophy wife. I want her to twirl for everyone to see how pretty she uh, she is. Uh, And she said, uh, I am not going to be a trophy wife, so I'm not coming. Uh, Now, to not come when the king summoned you was to risk your life. Uh, And the Bible says that when she refused, uh, the king was embarrassed And he banished her from his presence forever and said, you'll never come near me again, out of the kingdom. Uh, At that point, uh, uh, soon he became lonely. And he said, "Uh, so I need a new queen now. And he put out the word, we're just going to bring a lot more pretty women before me. And I'm going to choose one of them to be my new queen. Uh, And there was a woman uh, uh, in the area, a Jewish woman named Esther. Esther was very pretty. uh, And she was one of the ones brought before the king. Uh, She did not tell him that she was Jewish. He didn't know that. But she was very pretty. She found favor with him. So he said, I'm going to make you my new queen. And she became uh, Queen Esther. Now, at the same time that all this is going on, remember, uh, the king has no idea that she's Jewish. Uh, There's a man that's higher up in the ranks. His name is uh, Haman. Or, or, uh, yeah, Haman. Now, Haman was an Agatite. If you were an Agatite, uh, hatred for the Jewish people was just in your blood. 
Now, one of the first things that I learned when I moved uh, to Pennsylvania is that uh, it's Steeler country. Uh, I just I learned that, and what I learned uh, is that there's no one here who says, "Well, I'm a Steeler slash Baltimore slash Cincinnati uh, slash Patriots fan." There's no such thing. If you're a Steelers fan, uh, there is this disdain for Cincinnati and Cleveland, and it's in your blood. Well, the Agatites had this hatred in their blood for the Jewish race they had since the time of Moses uh, in the book of Exodus. Uh, so this man, uh, Haman, uh, the Bible says that he told everyone, when I walk by you, you kneel before me. But there was a man named Mordecai. He was Esther's cousin, uh, and he was a man of faith. And he said, I'm not going to kneel before anyone other than God. Well, when this happened, uh, Haman saw it as an opportunity not to kill just Mordecai, but to annihilate the Jewish race. Uh, in fact, he went to the king and he said, this man, he, he disobeyed, uh, and we just need to get rid of the Jewish people altogether. King Xerxes, still not knowing the nationality of his own wife, said, I'll make it a law. Uh, he said, on the 13th day of the 12th month, uh, every Jewish person, whether man, woman, uh, or child, uh, will be annihilated from our uh, provinces, and no one can come to their defense. The Bible says when Mordecai, Esther's husband, heard what was happening, uh, he went through the city and he was weeping and wailing and mourning. And, and when Esther heard uh, that Mordecai was doing that, uh, we're going to pick up right there in Esther chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. It says, Esther then summoned Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, assigned to attend her, and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. She also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, to show Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hathak uh, went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. And then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. And 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Uh, now, you should know, and I hope you agree with me, uh, I believe that the God we serve is a God of providence. And that's written all over the book of Esther. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that in just a minute. But I wanted to talk to you about a man uh, from the 1960s, uh, 
1960s and 70s, he was a prominent television producer. His name was Bruce Geller. Uh, anybody heard of Bruce Geller? Uh, maybe one. Okay, uh, Bruce Geller uh, had worked on uh, some lesser known projects in the 1950s, but it was in 1966 that he created, wrote, and produced, and directed a television show uh, that would uh, take him to the top. It was his claim to fame. Uh, decades before Tom Cruise ever played uh, Ethan, Hawk, or Ethan Hunt in the movie Mission Impossible, Bruce Geller introduced it as a television show, and I have an image to take you down memory lane in case anyone remembers that. You don't have to, to own up to that, but uh, when we first began holding services uh, back at the mall, uh, we actually played a video clip from the show, um, but today you'll have to settle for the picture, but uh, the show ran for 171 episodes. Uh, that was actually a record that stood for 35 years. Uh, it was replaced by uh, uh, the show 24 a few years back. Uh, but 171 episodes over 35 years, that was the record. Uh, that means 171 times there were, were different impossible missions. 171 times these different impossible missions were somehow accomplished. So the question that I want to ask is how were these 171 missions accomplished? Now, sometimes the simplest answers are the most profound answers. As creator and writer and producer and director, uh, Bruce Geller had a certain luxury. Uh, he had the luxury of creating the perfect character with the perfect traits with the perfect gifts and talents to respond to and to meet every need and every problem. For every need in every single episode, Geller had already created the perfect someone to respond to the need. When I say we serve a God of providence, that's what I mean. The word providence, I have uh, the definition here for you. It means timely preparation for future events. Now, I don't deny uh, that we live in a world of brokenness, uh, a world uh, right now with a lot of fear, a lot of heartache, a lot of sin and, and darkness. But uh, I believe that we serve a God who is a God of providence, and he is an author and creator who long ago knit you together in your mother's womb, who designed your character, everything about you, your traits, your gifts, and your talents. And he sees every single need around us, every need. And he says, I have already created the character that matches that need. And I call it the church. I have created the perfect response for every need. And I call them Nate and Rob and Missy and Travis. The perfect response for every need has been created by the author and the producer of our faith. Uh, church, there was a, a day when I came under great conviction as a pastor uh, because uh, I realized one day that I had been praying a very backwards prayer. In fact, for years, I had been praying, God, would you send the right people to the church? Just send people to the church. And one day I believe God responded and he said, I've been crying out for much longer that my church would go to the people. And too far across America, the churches are crying, God, send people in the doors. And God is saying, no, you go out the door. I have created you to go. 
that's where it begins, church, is recognizing that wherever you are, whether it's a classroom or a workroom or the home, there is an author and creator who knit you together and placed you in the midst of this society that is full of fear and doubt, that's full of sin and darkness. And he said, there, perfect. That is exactly where they go. That is the God of providence. Now, a few things jump out to me in this story. Uh, there's first the irony in the book of Esther because uh, what did Queen Vashti get in trouble for? Uh, it was she would not come to the king when she had been summoned. How is Esther uh, risking her life? She's going to go to the king when she hasn't been summoned. Esther was at a great risk for her life. And in fact, uh, in Esther's mind, success here was no guarantee. Uh, and in fact, history would indicate that success was very unlikely. Can I tell you that the guarantee of our success is not a prerequisite to stepping out in faith? We want it to be. We want to say, God, as long as I'll be successful, I will walk in faith. That's not how it works. There's the spiritual and the physical aspect uh, working together. Uh, uh, we see a spiritual element where Esther says, pray and fast. We see a physical element where she goes before the king. Uh, we would rather just do one. It's a lot easier just to do the spiritual element. It's a lot easier just to say, I'll pray that God meets the need. But then God calls us to both the spiritual, and the physical. Now, all of that will preach really well, but that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. Uh, there is a side of the story that I really want to get into your spirit. This amazing story of Esther, uh, this story of Esther saving the Jewish people from genocide. I'm not sure this salvation story ever takes place without a man named Mordecai. The Bible says that Mordecai was not her father. But when her parents died, he took that role upon himself and he raised her. Now, the Bible says that when she became queen, he would check on her every day. He would go to the gate to see how she was doing. He would give her wisdom and advice. Now, it was Mordecai who refused to, to kneel before the king. So he brought that wrath upon the Jewish people. But it was Mordecai who also got the word out to Esther and said, this is what's happening What's so crazy about this story is, is Mordecai brings this to her attention. Okay, we read about that earlier. And she sent back word to Mordecai saying that she saw the need, but there was nothing she could do. I want you to hear this. Esther recognized the need, but she didn't recognize that that's why she was there. We could write a book about the needs, but we have to recognize that is why we're here. Mordecai responded, he said, you have to recognize that this great need around you, perhaps you've been placed here for such a time as this. And I want to be a part of a church that has a such a time as this mentality and a such a place as this mentality that, that we're not here by accident. We're here on purpose, with a purpose. God has placed us here. Why? Because he is a God of providence. 
Esther was in a position of influence, the Bible says, for eight or nine years without recognizing that she was in a position of influence. Until Mordecai brought it to her attention and said, perhaps you're here for a purpose. Now, I call it her Mordecai moment. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write it down. Mordecai can be hard to spell, so I put it up here for you. <laughs> Esther had a Mordecai moment. What I mean by that is Mordecai did not place Esther into a position of influence. Mordecai simply called her attention to the already existing reality that she was in a position of influence. Now, if you wrote down that word or those words, Mordecai moment, I want you to go back and write three words before it. Today is my. Today is my Mordecai moment. Today, church, I want you to consider this your Mordecai moment, not the morning or not the moment that I give you a position of influence, but the moment that I call your attention to the reality that you, wherever you are in life, are in a position of influence, that you have been called on purpose with purpose. This need all around you, this hopelessness, you have been placed in the midst of it by a God of providence. And Esther finally recognized, church, that perhaps she was there for such a time as this. Uh, when we're looking at the principles that we can gather from this story, uh, there's actually uh, an area that, that it's easy for us to have a flawed outlook. Because as we look at Esther and we see that, that she was before the king, she had this, this, uh, this massive realm of influence before her. And what we can do is read that story and we can leave it and we can, we can think that if I don't have the influence of a king, then I have no influence. If I don't have this massive spectrum of influence, then it means I have none. But biblically, church, uh, whatever the size, you have a realm of influence in your life. It may be one person, maybe a room full of coworkers, it may be a classroom full of students, it may be a classroom full of classmates, but we need to stop searching for this grandiose, uh, majestic realm of influence and recognize that whatever season of life you are in today, you have a realm of influence. And maybe it's not the size of influence you've always wanted or envisioned, but Jesus said, he who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. And he who is faithful in the small things can be placed in charge of the large things. Today, we need to take the influence that we have, whether it's on one person or a hundred, and we need to begin loving like Jesus and serving like Jesus and pointing people and taking people to Jesus. And you say, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm not there yet in the weakness of my faith. I'm not there yet. Church, God took doubting Thomas and changed the world. He took Peter, who had just denied him, and changed the world. He took Paul, the murderer, and changed the world. God is not looking for flawless faith. God is looking for someone who will say yes to the call. Church, if, if God were looking for flawless faith, I would not be here. 
I am honored and privileged to be here, but I believe the only reason is because I said yes. God is calling you to mighty things, even if it's in one person's life, but he is calling you to say yes. Today is your Mordecai moment. I am not placing you in a position of influence, but I am telling you, you have a position of influence. And the first faith that we are called to is an influential faith. A faith that influences our circle, no matter the size of that circle. A faith that says, I am going to love like Jesus and serve like Jesus, that I'm not going to love people because they've earned it or they deserve it because that's not how Jesus loves us. I want to talk to the mothers for just a moment. Mothers, you have been given the most privileged and pr precious spectrum of influence on this planet, and that's your children. Lead them to Jesus. Love them like Jesus. Point them always to Jesus. Paul took this mindset with his relationship with Timothy. Uh, the Bible says that, that Paul actually referred to Timothy as his, his son or his child at least seven times because he took that position of his spiritual father. Uh, there's a passage I want to read to you out of 1 Corinthians uh, Paul's writing to the church, and he says uh, in verse 15 of chapter 4, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Uh, I should have that on the screen, I think. Yeah. Even if you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, Timothy who? Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Jesus Christ, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in the church. What he says in verse 15, he's there, he says, uh, there are not, or he says, there are many guardians, not many fathers. What does he mean by that? He means that in the church, there are many people who might have a, a small influence on you, but there aren't many people who will pour themselves out for you and pour themselves into you. But you know that God calls us to that as a church. Uh, we should all have Pauls and Timothys in our life. We should all have people who are pouring into us, and we should all have people that we are pouring into. We should be a people who are constantly pouring our faith into the lives of others. Because as you pour your faith into the lives of others, it becomes a contagious faith. And that's the second faith that we are called to is a contagious faith. But I said that I was going to talk about three women this morning. So I want to read another passage because we often give Paul the credit for Timothy's faith. But can I show you something when Paul wrote to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1? Beginning in verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life in Jesus Christ, to Timothy, my dear son, there he says it again, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, uh, conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. 
I recall your tears and I long to see you. You can see the relationship they have here so that I may be filled with joy. And then he says this. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I am persuaded it now lives in you. Timothy's great faith didn't begin with the person of Paul. Paul said, your faith was passed on to you from your grandmother and your mother. And moms, I want to talk to you again. Your children are watching you. Can be good or bad, but your children are watching you. And if your children see your faith as a task to be accomplished, it will not be contagious. But if they see your faith as a place of joy and, and overwhelming satisfaction in the person of Jesus Christ, your faith will be contagious. Uh, Mike, do you want to go ahead and come up? There's just one other person I want to look at really quickly in Scripture with a faith that we've been called to in Luke chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 36. Uh, this is shortly after Jesus was born. It says there was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of uh, something of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child of who they were looking forward uh, spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The context of this passage of Scripture is this woman had been pouring out her heart for decades for the coming Messiah. And in that moment, her prayer was finally fulfilled. And we should all have this faith that never loses hope, that never gives up. It's a faith that we're called to, and I call it a persistent faith. last time I want to talk to our mothers. If your children are, are grown and out of the house and not walking with the Lord, I've seen the heartache that that can cause. Can I tell you to be persistent in your prayer for your children? Have a persistent hope and faith that the God we serve is willing and able to draw them back. We are all called to this influential faith and a contagious faith and a persistent faith. Can you guys stand with me this morning? We're going to end a little differently. We're actually not going to go back into worship. This morning, I want to celebrate uh, our mothers and our moms, uh, biological and uh, adopted and spiritual. Uh, every mother, we want to celebrate you this morning. Uh, so a lot of our youth have already headed out into the cafe here. Um, we have ice cream sundaes being prepared just to celebrate you. Uh, and, and I want you to know they're for everyone, not just for moms, uh, because when you go to a birthday party, it's not just the birthday boy who gets cake. So let's go celebrate together. 
Moms, we have another gift for you on the table out there as well. Uh, but can we pray together? Uh, husbands, if you are with your wife, just place your hand on her. Lord, I thank you for every mother in this place, and I thank you, Lord, that you have placed them and placed all of us, God, in positions of influence. And I prayed this morning that, that it would be a celebratory day. Help us all to be uh, contagious in our faith and persistent and influential, Lord. I pray as we leave this place that we would recognize the areas of influence that you have placed us in, God. That we would recognize that we are here and now right in this place for such a time as this. I pray that uh, the spiritual element will begin to meet with the physical element, God. That, that we will begin to walk in our faith. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, church, stick around for a few minutes. Uh, they got gloves on, so we're all safe out there. Grab a Sunday or two. And whoever stays the latest gets to take home leftovers. So there's that. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.